Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Game of Thrones, A Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. Man, there was a bear bear, all black and brown and covered in hair. Hey everyone, tonight we're continuing our read of Ash's Point of View chapters with their second chapter in A Dance with Dragons, entitled The King's Prize. I'm Guile, and I tweet at Door Podcast, and tonight I am joined by our spicy Texan, Eon. <laughs> Hi, this is Eon. I'm Eon Blue Negative on Tumblr. And returning guest, Rachel. Hi, I'm Rachel, and I'm Rope Dart Raptor at Tumblr. And another returning guest, in Jake. I'm Jake, and I'm Anonymous. Oh, I love that. <laughs> the mysteri- I should have said the mysterious Jake. Um, <laughs> I want to give our standard trigger warnings um, for potential rape discussion, as well as spoiler warnings for literally everything in the books and the TV show. Um, I don't know how much we'll get to that, but want to make sure we're covered, iTunes reviewers. I'm listening to you. So uh, we are... Back with Asha, and as the chapter starts, she is chained up and riding in a baggage cart, watched over by Alisane Mormont, as Stannis Baratheon's men and supplies slowly make the march from Deepwood Mott to Winterfell. And as we read repeatedly in this chapter, Deepwood Mott lies 100 leagues of forest from Winterfell, 300 miles as the raven flies, or 15 days march, or so the men think. And although some of them think that Robert would do the march in just 10 days. And Justin Massey, who we meet in this chapter, suggests that no one should actually say this to Stannis, however, um, leading Asha to realize that Stannis still lives in his brother's shadow. And she thinks about how, you know, even with everything Theon, you know, everything that's happened with Theon, he still will always be her little brother, and every little brother is always a little brother. Um, Which, again, I can, I mean... There's literally nothing about anything that George R. R. Martin has ever written that, that would indicate that he is a like youngest child. Like there's nothing. He is so oldest or middle child. It's not even funny. Um, as, and as you might guess, I am a, I am a youngest child. Uh, so anyway, yeah, I was I was gonna say like I'm an I am an only child. And would you care to elaborate on how you? Oh, it's like, just what's the so. You know, personal story, but I'm the youngest of six kids, and I'm the youngest by quite a bit. So, um, my closest sibling in age to me is five years, and then there's a, then there's one that's eleven, one that's uh, thirteen, fourteen, and then fifteen years older than me. So, um, you know, I could be whatever I could be whatever age exists, but I'm still going to be fifteen years <laughs> younger than my siblings. So I'm you know always going to be you know, that kid, like it's never, you're never going to be, um, seen the same. You're never going to really be seen as an adult. I feel like, like I could be 70 mm-hmm. years old, but I'll have like an 86 year old sister. I'll be like, <laughs> you're no jack shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I kind of feel like, I kind of feel like that's probably Theon. Like he could be, you know, he could be anything and he's never going to be anything other than Ash's little brother to him. Hmm. Mm. Always the baby boy, yeah, for, uh, yeah, the mother too, yeah, for sure. Like literally right. for her. 
That's a, that's the thing. Like Alfie Allen always played really well on the show. That's kind of almost like childlike quality. Which in, I mean, uh, in given him him being like a famous younger brother as well, like totally makes <laughs> sense. Method. So, um, Asha makes some really interesting observations, or or so I thought in both about her father and Stannis. And I thought this was, there's a little short passage that gives this impression of Balon Greyjoy that seems a bit at odds with everything that we've read about the Ironborn. And Asha thinks, no man has ever died from bending his knee, her father had once told her. He who kneels may rise again, blade in hand. He who will not kneel stays dead, stiff legs and all. Balon Greyjoy had proved the truth of his own words when his first rebellion failed. The Kraken bent the knee to Stag and Direwolf, only to rise again when Robert Baratheon and Eddard Stark were dead. Um, and then fall again when he died. <laughs> like, literally fall again. But it was, you know, it's yeah. interesting, because I think we do get this impression that the Ironborn, and, you know, even in the prior, in Ash's prior chapter, where the Ironborn were kind of, like, deciding how exactly they wanted to die, um, you know, rather than surrender, um... But here we have, you know, Balon saying, no, you know, live to fight another day. Like, it's almost, it's funny. It's, like, weird to think of saying this about Balon Greyjoy, but it almost feels like he's an enlightened Ironborn. Yeah, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, love, I love the skepticism. That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, it, I don't know. He just, I don't know. He's, he always seemed really... I mean, every, all of his plans went to shit. Like, I don't you know, I mean, I guess that's decent advice, but he probably isn't the book I mean, person I want to take advice from. Yeah, I mean, if he, you know, if he maybe, maybe if he would have sided with Rob, maybe, you know, that yeah. was the move to make. And he would have, you know, would have had the triumphant kind of second act of his, of his career, if you will. Yeah. Unless Euron still, you know, came and killed that's him. That's true, which inevitably, yes, would happen. Yeah. So <laughs> he's screwed either way. Yeah. Um, but to that point, Asha, you know, herself yielded to save her men, and by the end of the battle in the forest, only nine remained. Among them, though, are, thank God, Carl and Tris Botley, who I, you know, I know he survived, but reading this in the chapter, I was, like, kind of shocked at myself that I felt, like, this bit of relief for him. Like, oh my god, I kind of like Tris Botley now. Like, how did this happen? He wormed his way in, damn it. Um, I'm so upset about it. It kind of sounds like they're in a better place than Ash is right now. Yeah, they're, they're in the, still in the dungeons of Deepwood Mall. Yeah, and uh, not, we, <laughs> however, we heard nothing about you know brave and bold Hagen's daughter. So I, I propose we all raise a glass uh, in memory sure, of sure. in yeah. memory of Hagen's daughter. Long may she live in our memories. <laughs> um. So while Stannis spared them, Asha senses no mercy in Stannis. Um, she thinks he was just and harsh, and while those aren't unfamiliar characteristics to her, she just can't like Stannis. It seems like a part of that is due to the fact that Stannis can't figure out how to deal with women at all. Um, yeah. Asha has, Asha has a great little line about him. Asha thinks... The Southern King seemed to be one of those men to whom women are another race, as strange and unfathomable as giants and grumpkins and the children of the forest. The she-bear the she made him grind his teeth as well. So it's just, you know, and even it sounds like even with um, Sybil, Glo- Sybil Glover, Sybil Glover, um, he's kind of weird with her too. Like he's just, you know, really, I mean, it's Stannis, so I think we, we all kind of get 
on a certain level, he's uncomfortable in his skin anyway, but he just seems like really uncomfortable around these women. Yeah, well, I mean, and there's another thing here, too, where it's like he's basically parading Asha around and probably expending a lot of resources on the march to do so. But it really it's not going to do anything. It's like the Northwinders can be like, all right, you beat some woman like mm-hmm. you beat right. you beat Balon Greyjoy's fuck up daughter. Congratulations. <laughs> right. You know, and that's that's like a running theme with Stannis where like he doesn't like. Like, he's brilliant when it comes to military strategy and, like, command structures and, like, the technical aspect of things like that. But when it comes to, like, you know, people stuff, like, he just does not really quite get it. He and it's always, like, a little bit off. He doesn't have the soft skills, as they would call them. <laughs> yes. Yes, that's a good way of putting it. <laughs> so, you know, Asha, Asha, to your point, Asha thinks exactly that. Like, yeah, he's going to praetor at Winterfell, but she knows the Northerners enough to be like, yeah, they're not going to care that he captured some woman. Um, yeah. But she, you know, she talks about some of the arguments that happened at Deepwood Mott before they planned their march, and you know, some of the men wanted to winter there before attacking Winterfell, but the northern men really wanted none of it. And one of the men starts to talk about what Robert would do, and Stannis cuts him off, and it's this like most hilarious Stannis way ever. And I have a little short little Stannis quote. There's some Stannis quotes in here. Just, just <laughs> spoiler, spoiler alert. Um, Stannis says, we all know what my brother would do. Robert would gallop up to the gates of Winterfell alone, break them with his warhammer, and ride through the rubble to slay Roose Bolton with his left hand and the bastard with his right. (laughs) Stannis rose to his feet. I'm not Robert, but we will march, and we will free free Winterfell, or die in the attempt. (laughs) Which, um, it kind of... You know, Stannis has this sarcasm, and it kind of made me realize that I wonder, and I I don't know what made the connection in my brain, but it made me wonder if, you know, it's part of the reason that we like, Stan- you know, readers, we kind of like Stannis, but we, you know, we really don't like Cat, or a lot of readers don't really connect with Cat, is that Stannis is sarcastic and Cat's not. I don't know uh, what brought the comparison in like my mind. I don't like Stannis. Is that mm. blasphemy? No, no, not at all. <laughs> I mean, I think... In I some mean, ways, like, Stannis is like the Frank Grimes of, like, this universe, <laughs> where, like, he just recognizes, like, everything that's wrong, and it just completely drives him crazy. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, like, I, I like Stannis as a foil for other characters. Like, I think he's a good, well-written character, but I don't like him the way that so much of the fandom seems to, where I, like, enjoy his presence in its own right, yeah. you know? And I, he does have a sarcastic streak that I appreciate. But that's sort of. Uh, otherwise, I don't find him all that appealing beyond what he does in terms of having other characters bounce off of him. Uh-huh. I prefer watching other characters react to Stannis more than I like Stannis. If that makes sense. No, I think that makes. I mean, I think that makes total sense. And I think you know, as you're describing it, I'm kind of nodding along, and I think that is probably more of how I feel. But I, I really appreciate the sarcasm. Um, oh. Like, I just, like, I'm living for the sarcasm. (laughs) No, as as the series goes on, it becomes clear, like, you know, Stannis is kind of low-key hilarious, like, but, you know, he's just so, he's just so uptight. Like, he can never be truly, like, charismatic um, in the way that, of course, you know, his brothers were. Don't say the name! (laughs) Don't say (laughs) the name! You know, and... Yeah, the thing is, I think, as you say, too, you know, Asha notes that Stannis has the battle cred. He smashed the wildlings at the wall. He defeated the Ironborn. He held Storm's End through Robert's Rebellion. And, you know, he has this magic sword. So, 
you know, in theory, people should be flacking to him, but because of his innate Stannisness, I feel like that's not going to happen. Um, well, he's like one of those artists who is just, you know, puts nothing into their presentation or promotion or anything like that, but is like a total genius, you know, at like the fundamentals. And it's like their their lack of like presentation is almost like a strange point of pride with them, you know? He's a hipster? He's a battle I know, hipster? I know, I feel like you're <laughs> describing Stannis as a hipster and I'm loving it. Yeah. <laughs> Stannis hated the Boltons before it was cool. <laughs> Stannis hated everyone before, which I mean, you know, he, knew, he, knew, he knew about he knew about uh, Cersei's bastard kids before it was cool. Yeah, he totally did. <laughs> uh, so you know, Stannis also reasons that once he bloodies the Boltons, he thinks most of the North will turn on them. So I mean, again, like strategically, ta- strategically here, he's not. We, I mean, we suspect strongly that he's not wrong. Like he's on the right path. Um. There's just like it does. It seems like if he were any other human being on Earth, he could do better at this. But it's like yeah. because of who he is, this is like as good as it's gonna get, you know. Yep. So poor, uh, you know. So poor Justin Massey here is giving Asha this food and gossip, and you know he's really um, he's really interested in getting her lands, and she mm-hmm. she's quite aware of this, but. You know, she doesn't have her land. She doesn't think he's the man to help her get them back. And I and I honestly think that her heart is back in Deepwood Mott in the dungeons with, with Carl and Triss. Like, it just seems like, I don't know that she would ever admit that to herself, but, you know, that's... Well, I feel like she'd rather be anywhere else than where she is right now. I mean, so maybe, maybe she'd be more cognizant of that than we think. Oh, yeah. You know? No, I think she's like, this is, you know, she's, she's chained up. She's... You know, she's you know, on this first, death march to oblivion. Yeah, I mean, at first they're doing okay. So they make 22 miles the first day and 22 the second. And, you know, Ash is just stir crazy and they're not going to give her a horse. And they lay Theon's sins at her feet. And, um, you know, she asks Alicene Mormont if she has a brother. And there's this really great exchange between Alicene and Asha that I wanted to read. Uh, Sisters, Alicene Mormont replied, gruff as ever. Five we were, all girls. Liana is back on Bear Island. Lear and Jory are with our mother. Daisy was murdered. The Red Wedding? I, Allison, stared at Asha for a moment. I have a son. He's only two. My daughter's nine. You started young. Too young, but better that than wait too late. A stab at me, Asha thought, but let it be. You are wed? No, my children were fathered by a bear. Alicene smiled. Her teeth were crooked, but there was something ingratiating about that smile. Mormont women are skin changers. We turn into bears and find mates in the woods. Everyone knows. Asha smiled back. Mormont women are all fighters, too. The other woman's smile faded. What we are is what you made us. On Bear Island, every child learns to fear krakens rising from the sea. The old way. Asha turned away, chains clinking faintly. Um... You know, what do you guys think that this this interaction has always felt very important to me? And I'm curious, you know, what what do you guys think about this? I mean, I like to think that if Asha did gain control of the Iron Islands, she would be able to, like, kind of broker more peace and, like, steer things in a more enlightened direction on that island somehow. That's a nice, like, fantasy that I have. I don't know how viable it is but i it's interesting to watch 
Asha kind of like she she enjoys the adrenaline rush of her culture, but I think she's also a lot more cognizant of the personal cost that it has on um, the you know immediate vicinity and the people that they hit. And it's interesting to watch that like play out in her well, character yeah, and, and on her you know her own family. Like she's lost you know two brothers to death and a third to you know. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Just in that. In that particular snippet, yeah. that's definitely about, like, what they've done to Bear Island. And, I mean, to me, I've always kind of felt like it was a sign that, you know, and this is going to mark me as extremely foolish, but, you know, as a sign that Ash is going to make it, just in terms of, um, you know, the you know she thinks the old way, and, and I feel like there's some, you know, and I've always kind of felt Jamie about Jamie the same way, that there are the characters who can see that the old way ain't going to cut it and are going to be the ones that are going to be more adaptable. And she's always felt like more adaptable to me than, um, well, than any of the other Greyjoys, of course, but than even most yeah. of the other characters that have, you know, leadership potential in this world after, you know, whatever happens. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously the author is like seeding something here. You know what I mean? Like, cause like, uh, there is like, there is a new way now and the new way is worse, you know? The new way is we're gonna go steal some fucking dragons and hey maybe I have a secret track in, I mean, but and then we're just gonna it, eat the continent alive. <laughs> but when you put it that way, doesn't the new way actually sound like much better? Like, no, no, I would have like, voted for Euron. I mean, yeah. I'm sorry. I mean, I mean I'm kind of feeling like yeah, that sounds good to me. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get some fucking dragons and burn <laughs> some shit up. That sounds great. Yeah. That sounds that sounds a lot more fun than like making deals and like getting some land. Right. Good as land. So basically, I can. I feel like all of a sudden we all became Trump voters, and apologize if anyone <laughs> is, but like that's the mentality apparently. Like, let's just get some dragons; we'll be fine. Yeah, fire and fury. <laughs> yep. Oh my god, our dragon button is bigger than their dragon button. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. It just seemed yeah, like I, I didn't like what I was becoming. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, um, this Mormon, Alice, Alice Sand Mormon. Mm-hmm. Ether, is this possibly the she bear that Tormund hooked up with, or could it <sighs> be an earlier Tormund? No, because Tormund's like seventy in the books. No, yeah, so maybe kids. maybe like that could be her granddad. Oh yeah, possible. Man. I'm just I'm I hate Tormund so much because of what the show did that I can't even entertain anything fun about him Yo, anymore. Like he's been ruined. I'm sorry, book Tormund rules though. Like right. book, book tournament is awesome. amazing. Like why? And I, I always understand. Like why wouldn't you want that character on the show? Like they, that dude's fun. I don't yeah. get it. Anyway, sorry. And I mean, I'd be fine with show torment if it, if without the abomination of what they did. So. Well, here's the thing. There's a little thing called gifts, and they ruin everything. <laughs> how, to, how so? Well, because, you know, like people pull like specific things and they're like, okay, let's put this together. And look, you know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about, right? No, I, I totally know exactly what you mean. And I love yeah. the way that you put it so much. <laughs> There's a thing called gifts and they ruin everything. <laughs> oh, it's sad. I'm crying because it's true. <laughs> so, so anyway, um, as the march goes on, and just to point out too, George has a lot of you know we make fun of his like nuncle and you know and, and Moonboy too, and 
Uh, where do horrors go? Like there, we make fun of that repetitive language throughout a dance with dragons, but like this chapter and also Brand's last chapter, there's like a repeat. You know, there's a repeating phrase on and on through here about the hundred leagues, hundred leagues of force to win or fell, three hundred miles, fifteen days. You know, three hundred miles as the ravens fly, fifteen days march. Like he repeats that over and over, and it kind of gives you this feel of you know like these ancient. Um, like the Iliad or the Odyssey or these stories yeah. that are passed down orally through time, you know, like that same kind of epic feel. And um, it's just, it's really cool. Like, I really enjoy it. Like, I really enjoy his writing here. Um, but it's, it's funny when we complain about the repetition and here it's like really um, engaging, I think. Yeah. And, yeah. and for me, it's like um, coming back to that count, like it also feels a lot like, you know, I can feel the, soldiers and and asha and and everyone trying to like like obviously they don't have a cell wall and a bit of chalk to like mark the days off with but i can feel them like the equivalent of that um like they're they're trying to like count down the days like it gets that feeling across yeah no i totally and then when the the last day comes and they're still not there yet it's like oh my god this chapter stresses me out so much i'm not gonna lie no it's super stressful At the same time, though, it also feels kind of contem- – well, this is what's cool about it. Like, at the same time, it feels kind of contemporary because you can almost see, like, the like the, the chart, like, come up on the screen or whatever as, like, oh, a yeah. subtitle somewhere and then disappear. So it's, like – it's very cinematic at the same time. Oh, which- yeah. No, I think cinematic is, like, a perfect way to describe it. Yeah. And- if only kind of, there were a TV show or something that could get that across. <laughs> well, and like George's writing does definitely does get better. Like if you look at like the Dance with Dragon chapters, like that kind of fusion of like very contemporary but very classical writing is like really strong here. Yeah, um, and I think that's what's a Dance with Dragons. Like there's this dichotomy to it in that it's frustrating in where the story itself doesn't take you, like where you maybe thought you're going to be taken, but then the individual chapters when you read them, you know, so, like, so many of them are just, like, the most vivid, the most, like, like, really incredible writing. It's really strong on rereads. That's, I mean, I won't go, like, full Brendan B. Fish and say, oh, this is the best book, but it, it, of all the ones, it's, like, the most fun to reread, and, there probably is something too because like I read I came to these books very late and so I kind of read them all back to back, and so I never saw the whole thing like you know dance is a piece of shit he's lost the narrative like it seemed to me to be of a continuum with like the other pieces, even if it doesn't obviously get you to you know the end game or whatever. It just in it, you know it just seems like such a it's such a leap from feast because it's to me dance feels like very mystical and very because mystical is the best word of how I feel about it. And feast is so human. Um, is just, is that to do with like the way that the characters are broken down? Because like a dance with dragons, we've got Daenerys and Jon and all of the more like, you know, kind of magical sided characters. Yeah, but whereas even, feast yeah. has like Brian's conversation with um, the oh my god, I'm brain farting on his name, <laughs> monk guy, Septon Mirabald. That guy, yes. yeah. But I think even well, in Ash's last chapter, when she's the way that she's talking about the forest, like there's a very like mystical, magical element to her, to the way she feels about it. That would have been, it would have. I mean, Brienne gets a little of that when she's, you know, as she's going around Westeros and feast. But it's, you know, the doom isn't the doom she feels. We know as a reader, as a human, it's a human threat. Here, I mean, we don't. You know, here we definitely feel much more of that supernatural threat well, or that feast, supernatural, like, overlord is, almost. 
Feast is almost a little more backward, backward looking in a sense because it, it's basically everyone mopping up after the War of the Five Kings. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like this is this is looking forward and forward ahead is all the magic shit. So you're gonna start to like feel that a little more, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, the march is going on. It's day God knows what, and Asha is still she's still doing okay. She's kind of treated as a precious captive, and so she gets to dine in Stannis's tent. And she sees Stannis staring into the flames. And I have this short passage that I have to read, and it's specifically for Kama. So, Kama, when you're listening, (laughs) this one's for you. The king stood outside his tent, staring into the night fire. What does he see there? Victory? Doom? The face of his red and hungry god? His eyes were sunk in deep pits, his close-cropped beard no more than a shadow across his hollow cheeks and bony jawbone. Yet there was power in his stare an iron ferocity that told Asha this man would never, ever turn back from his course. <laughs> um, I feel like somewhere Kama's like, yes! <laughs> this is the moment! <laughs> and I mean, that is, you know, 100% Stannis. Uh, so Asha goes to him, and she goes to her knees and begs him to strike her chains and let her ride. She promises her, him her ships and her men, and even the men at Torrens Square. She'll help him take Winterfell, and she tells him that Robert was known for turning friends into foes, and unfortunately that triggers, like, all of Stannis' middle child <laughs> angst, and he just leaves. Like, Robert, nope, out. Like, he, you know, like, he just can't handle it, and Justin Massey kind of, like, you know, afterwards is like, that was a bad idea, dude. And she's like, yep. Yeah. <laughs> I, so, I do like that. I do like that line though. Where it's like Stannis looked at her as he might look at a dog who presumed to hump against his leg. <laughs> just, that's such an evocative image. <laughs> oh, Stannis! And it's like you know, Asha. Uh, I don't want to get into that, but it's like for all we seem like Asha seems like if he could, if Stannis could get over his weirdness, like they would actually probably get along. I think, but. Um, so the weather is getting worse and worse and the marching is getting difficult and the, the whole train travels fewer miles every day. And the Northmen and their mounts basically have what sound like snowshoes, so they're, out, they're starting to outdistance the southern men and their horses and their snowdrifts are waist high. And they're dealing with winds and their rations are getting low and it, it sounds horrible. And you know the worst is when the Northerners are basically, basically they're just like, oh, this is just Autumn's kiss. Ha <laughs> ha. know about the snowshoes for horses okay right? don't put snowshoes on horses back in the day <laughs> i mean I, that's 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 like this is actually like one of my favorite chapters in the series uh partly for something that comes up but partly just there's this current where throughout it where it's like they're just on this death march to oblivion and just it's increasingly bleak and bleak meanwhile you have like these northmen who are like having the time of their lives <laughs> and for them this is like an, this is basically an autumn picnic because <laughs> You know, for them, like, this is great. Because for Stannis' people, it's like, they're like, okay, does this guy know what he's doing? I mean, they believe in R'hllor, some of them. Others are like, what the fuck did I get myself into? I just wanted some more land, you know? But the, but these guys, they're going to die anyway. They're going to die in the snow. So they're having the time of their lives. Like, this is, like, the best-case scenario for them. <laughs> you know? Is anyone else the, just picturing the song in yeah. their head? No. Yeah, I mean, well, the, the Southern Lords, I mean... They're they're kind of like me. They're from the coast. Yeah. They're not used to this climate. That would be like me going up north and being thrown into the dead of winter 
and not even knowing what to do. Right. And I mean, I think, you know, to your point, too, the Northerners would sort of react like me in that scenario with Eon, where I would totally be like smug about it. Oh, it's not even that cold. Oh, you need a winter jacket? We're still wearing shorts. It's snowing. Uh-huh. I've never seen snow before. I don't know how to drive in it. Yes. What do I do? Yeah, and we just, oh, it's barely, it's like a, it's flurries. It's fine. You know, we'd be like very yeah. like enjoying over you know lording it over them especially because it's men too because like men will never admit when they're cold like i'm not cold (laughs) i'm fine i'm I'm wearing this t-shirt i'm good bro it is always my favorite when you see like the men like i live in the north and um you know like you hit 40 degrees in february and legit like everyone is gonna be wearing shorts yep (laughs) morons that we are (laughs) I've Googled horse snowshoes, and it is funny looking. So it really is a thing. It's a thing. I don't know if it was a thing like back in medieval times, but it exists. And uh, they basically just look like extra large planks of wood that the horses strap. Extra big shoes, basically. What? Oh, they put the hooves into them? No, it's, I mean, it looks like it works like human snowshoes, but they're shaped differently. It's more like literally just like you saw off a bit of two by four so that it's a wider footprint and then you strap the horse's foot to it. Hmm. Uh, and it looks funny. It looks like they're going to do some clogging or something. <laughs> and I can see why the Southern horses would be averse to the idea. Oh yeah. Poor Southern horses. I just felt horrible for the horses. I mean, Oh, like, oh, oh yeah. Always, I mean, but yeah, just, I can't well, they, I have to like divorce myself from thinking about the horses. Well they lose like they started out with like eight hundred horses and they yeah. get there, they have like sixty, I think is the numbers I've read. Like it's bad. So they're only on the night well, so actually there's a good point where the men the men are already, you know, it's like eight days in we find out and the men are already talking about sacrificing an unbeliever to improve the weather and Stannis points out that, you know, half of his army is made up of unbelievers. And in one of the great Stannis moments, he tells the men to pray harder. (laughs) I want to use that in real life. (laughs) So, um, you know, what's kind of interesting is, you know, we're at this point of the chapter and it feels like they've been on, you know, even just reading it, it feels like they've kind of been on the way forever. But it's the ninth day. Yeah. Of the march. And at this point, they're happy to make two miles. And the men and horses are starting to go missing in the snow. And they talk about how men just kind of wander, um, you know, just kind of wander off and you know, sit in the snow and die. And it kind of reminds me of what you hear about on Mount Everest sometimes with, like, the people that were low on oxygen and just kind of, you know, yeah, like sat in the well, snow. Well, yeah, and because when you get, I think, when you freeze to death, you get really warm. It's actually like a very pleasant feeling. Oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> like if if you're gonna choose between like dying in the desert and dying in deep snow, you want to go deep snow okay. for sure. Good. Yeah. This is good to know. Yeah, important information, a, listeners. Uh, yeah. I think there's a there's a point where your nervous system stops being able to differentiate between cold and warm, so your brain is just like, oh, well, I guess I'm I'm so cold that I'm warm now, and you you drift off to a lovely slumber. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it does grim, kind of but... sound great. No, I'm kind of like, damn, that doesn't sound bad. Just yeah. saying. Yeah. So uh, we, we we move on, and on the 20th day, one of the horses carrying Ash's wagon dies, and she's finally released, but she has to walk. And 
Um, one of the things I neglected to mention is it kind of sounds like she has a, a broken ankle or, you know, a pretty messed up ankle. So she's, um, you know, walking around on that and is thinking about how, oh, you know, pretty soon it'll, it'll freeze and I won't feel it anymore, which basically it kind of happens. Um, so they're on the 26th day of the 15-day march and they run out of vegetables. And then on the 30th day, they run out of grain. So they're living on half-frozen horse meat. But, um, you know, they think that there may be three days from Winterfell, but they, they really have no idea. And they keep pushing on until the Southerners start to turn against the Northmen and wonder why they're enduring this march. And, you know, one of the Northmen, Morgan Little, who it, it turns out he's the man that Asha fought in the forest in our last chapter. And he actually apologized to her for um, not trying to kill her, but for calling her a cunt. Um, so he's, you know, <laughs> one up on lots of people. And, you know, his answer, you know, his answer to why is, is Ned. He just says, Ned's girl. And, and that's so awkward later. Yeah, you know, these Northmen are unfailingly loyal to Ned. And, you know, I think that says a lot about Ned. And I, I'm just wondering, like, you know, how do we think Stannis feels about that loyalty, just given, you know, how disloyal half, you know, half the men of the Stormlands were to him at the beginning, even? Yeah, He's that's a good be. point. He's got to be so aggravated because, I mean, it's it's very clear that he lacks the sort of emotional intelligence to understand what brings that kind of loyalty about. You know, like he's not he doesn't get what actually endears a leader to their people. So, like, it's got to just be so aggravating and baffling for him. Well, I feel like oh, sorry. No, no. I mean, that I was wrapping up there just you know it's got to be it's got like he must think that i mean i don't i don't know that he would think that he's missing anything but at the same time he's clearly missing something and i i can only imagine the mental circles that he runs himself in i think he would probably interpret it as like you know what the northerners up here they know they know how to do things right they do things the right way yeah. Um, but I think on another hand, it probably grates on his ego a little bit because, you know, before he had to he had to march in Robert's shadow and now he has to march in Ned's essentially. But since it's kind of all his, his best card he has to play right now, he kind of has to just kind of deal with it. Yep. Yeah, I mean, you know, I know that. And I, I think, you know, he obviously knew Ned and, you know, at least a little, you know, he would have known Ned a bit when. You know, when he was young, he would have met, I'm sure he would have met him at some, you know, he would have met him and known him at some point. Or, you know, when they were in the, um, I'm blanking on it, but the, the Ironborn Revolt. Right. To, Although. Know, were, the Great Joy Rebellion, if they were in there together. But, and I, you know, it seems like, you know, Ned is so unlike Robert that Stannis might have just liked him by... You know, him not being like Robert. By contrast. Although I would think he'd be jealous of Robert's feelings towards Ned, too, so. Right, because he always hastens to add, when everyone mentions, like, Ned to him, he's like, uh, he was a good man, but he was no friend to me. Yeah, yeah. And he's always he, he always hastens to add that, even when you would think he would you would get, be scoring points by being like, yeah, I knew him, he was cool, you know. He always has to add, he, was not, he wasn't my friend. <laughs> so there was definitely, I'm, I'm thinking there was definitely, like, feelings of resentment there where it's like okay robert's supposed to be in charge here this is all falling to me but he's running around with ned stark in the eerie mm-hmm. you know and like and the you other know, yeah like why is like he probably recognized the similarities between himself and ned is like well why is he best friends with ned but like he always why are, yeah why do ned's low-key people, bullied me you know and why do ned's people like care so much about him whereas my people you know 
hate me, you know. Yeah. Or not hate me, but you know they they are perfectly willing to run off with my piece of crap little brother against me. Um, yeah. So, you know, one of as they're talking about, you know, why are they doing this, blah blah blah, and one of the Northmen explains, and this is like one of the classic quotes from this chapter. And he says, winter is almost upon us, boy, and winter is death. I would sooner my men die fighting for Ned's little girl than alone and hungry in the snow, weeping tears that freeze upon their cheeks. No one sings songs of men who die like that. As for me, I am old. This will be my last winter. Let me bathe in Bolton blood before I die. I want to feel it spatter across my face when my axe bites deep into a Bolton skull. I want to lick it off my lips and die with the taste of it on my tongue. <laughs> Sorry, like, I'm, then, sure, no. I'm sure the speaker wasn't laughing when they were saying that, but I have a hard you never time. No, that's a perfectly valid reading. <laughs> no, like, he, I, he, I think so actually, because after that, like, you know, they, like Morgan Little yells "blood and battle," and then they're all shouting and banging their clubs and drinking yeah. horns on the table and so it's like drunk filling talk? the with the yeah. Well, I, this is actually like one of my favorite scenes in the in the in like the series and like one of my favorite speeches because uh, he goes like. Before that, he goes, um, you know, I, men are dying. More will die before we see Winterfell. What of it? This is war. Men die in war. That is as it should be, as it has always been. And he goes, and the other guy goes, do you want to die well? And he goes, I want to live forever in a land where summer lasts a thousand years. I want a castle in the clouds where I can look down over the world. I want to be six and twenty again. When I was six and twenty, I could fight all day and fuck all night. What men want does not matter, Right. And I just, I don't know, like, and then the speech of the part of it after that, like, I, I don't know, it was, it's so hilarious and so, like, illustrative of his character, where it's, like, the highest, like, achievement in life is being able to fight all day and fuck all night, which also sounds like a DMX lyric, which makes it extra cool. <laughs> but I also, you know, I think that gets to something more elemental in, in the entire story of, you know, we do get to choose, you know, we do get to choose the, you know, to a certain extent, we do get to choose the world that we live in. And if we choose a world that, you know, the best you can hope for is to die fighting, you know, that's kind of a shitty world. Like, maybe if they were time, trying like, to have a world where, you know, I want to, I want to learn everything. I want to see everything. I want to do everything. You know, that's a different, it's a different aspiration than, you know, I want to, you know, die well. I don't give a shit how I die. <laughs> like I'd like to have clean underwear on, but I mean, you know, what do I care? <laughs> Simple things. It is definitely like a really good example of like a more fatigue though, where you know he's they they know what their fate is, and for them, like again, this is like their best case scenario. Like instead of being burdens upon their family who have to shamefully like limp into the woods to go and die, like they get to die as heroes. You know, people will sing songs about them. They get to experience. They get to die in like an adrenaline rush of battle instead of just so, freezing to death somewhere. You why know? isn't anyone yeah. like? I want to make it to the coast and get a ship to the southern islands. Like <laughs> that's what I want to do. You know, like. Yeah, you think there'd be probably be more like migration, but right. I don't know. I mean, then again, like you know, people live in fucking freezing ass northern places on you know yeah. in this world, and we have cars yeah, and shit. What's your fucking they have excuse? Have indoor heating. Yeah, that's so. true. That's true. And, you know, I can reasonably assume I'm not, you know, going to die of exposure. But, and you know, to this point, the speech, you know, even after, 
even Ash after the speech is like, yeah, let me fight and die. Although to, to her point, to you know, to her credit, she's is more like, let me fight and die because at least I won't be in winter. <laughs> and I have to say, like, yeah. you know, as someone in a northern climate, Ash is at like early March level tolerance of winter at this point. Which you know, in December you're like winter snow, it's beautiful. I'm super happy. Let's go frolic, blah blah. Holiday <laughs> lights, twinkles. That early March, and then is- like yeah, and like January you're like yeah, it's winter this is what we put up with you know february like oh we're almost done and then if it snows or it's cold in march you're like fuck this shit (laughs) you're done like you're done and she's done and you know again as far as we know it's like it's like they've been marching for a month and and that's what what's it there's another thing that's similar about this that kind of reminds me of um wyman manderley's speech you know like my son is home and all that shit because again, we're in like this extremely bleak situation, but we're getting like these seeded kernels for there being like hope beyond it. You know what I mean? Even if that hope is in kind of like you know ex- like a purging bit of violence, you know, ahead of us. But because like you know, you see how Stannis is again on this dash march to oblivion, but at the same time, he's got like these guys who can handle it, and only can they handle it. Like they they want nothing more than to basically murder a bunch of Boltons and they sound like some big ass dudes who have the capacity to well do it. Yeah. So I mean, it's they, like, you know, those you can't have, I, don't I, mess I like around. You, I feel like you can't read this speech without being like, yeah, dude, Bolton's going to get wrecked. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh yeah. And I think, you know, again, you know, going back to Stannis, you know, Stannis's strategic thoughts on it as well. Like he's right. You know, if he, if there was an opportunity to bloody the Boltons and it looked like the tide was going to turn even a little bit, everyone's against him, you know, like it's going to be wholesale, wholesale abandonment, you know? Yeah. So, you know, they finally, they come across this crofter's village between two lakes and they stop and decide to go ice fishing. And at this point I was honestly unaware that it was physically possible to go ice fishing without liquor. So (laughs) I, (laughs) I assume there must be some stores of booze amongst the men still, because I, again, I I didn't think it was possible to do that. So, um, Stannis. You'd have to, right? Isn't this still the time period? Like, this is the time period where everybody's drinking alcohol because the water isn't clean. Although I guess if you're melting snow, you'd be fine. I mean, I think it's legally and physically required. Yes. (laughs) It's it's the law, the law <laughs> of the land, basically. Um, so Asha notes that Stannis looks like looks like he has one foot in the grave, but he still wants to keep going, and he he lets the men fish, but promises that they're going to march at first light. And we pick up in with in the morning, however, and there's nothing but silence around, and a huge snowstorm has swallowed up their camp, and and the chapter ends with somewhere ahead, Roos Bolton awaited them behind the walls of Winterfell. But Stannis Baratheon's host sat snowbound and unmoving, walled in by ice and snow, starving. So good times. Um, yeah. So I and I forget what happens in the future chapters. Does this mean that there? I was unclear about what was what the cliffhanger is. Is it uh, the storm has like settled in, or like what? Like I, what's happening? I got confused. So I think well, yeah, it, it's just it's a huge a snowstorm. So I mean, their camp is basically covered in snow. So they have to. Okay. And they dig you know, out. And who knows at this point? Who even knows once they dug out if they would know necessarily um, what direction they're going in, and you know all of that. So I think it's um, 
I mean, you know, we find out this book what happened, so it's not it's not um an entire an entire cliffhanger, but um you know, all's basically kind of all's not well. And I think if you you know, one of the things the way that you know, the way we're just going through Ash's point of view chapters, you kind of it's you're not getting the similar scenes at Winterfell where Right. You know, if you're Ramsey and you're the Boltons how utterly stupid, like how utterly stupid they are to even entertain leaving Winterfell. You know, this is the, you know, this, that's literally the only way that anything bad could happen to them against Stannis's army is if they engaged it because Stannis's army is obviously in no position to do anything other than, you know, just try to exist basically, I think. Yeah. But yeah, good times. Good. Yeah. (laughs) We did have a request to um, discuss Justin Massey a little bit more, so I wonder if you know anyone had um, any more distinct impressions of of Justin Massey, and um, you know, did we do we like him? Is he like maybe being a little bit too overly obvious with Asha? He seems like he's smart, but yeah, he just seems like he's so like grossly obvious in his intentions. I mean, it's probably going to be obvious to Matt. I mean, this isn't like a casual place to meet women, you know? Right. <laughs> That's a very good point. And it sounds like, you know, Alisane told her that he was after Val at the wall. So it's like, you know, Justin Massey has no game, it kind of sounds like, maybe. like. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a timing question, but it's also... And the other thing is, I mean, you know, that isn't necessarily proof that he's gold digging, you know what I mean? Because there aren't a lot of women around, you know? He doesn't have a lot of options, you know? I mean, Even if he is, though, like, it's still, like, if that's the worst thing that you can say about him, oh, yeah. given the context of the world that he lives in, yeah. I'm okay with him, you know? Really? I ain't saying he's a gold digger. <laughs> no, I'm saying that. Yeah. I'm saying that. No, I'm also saying he's a gold digger. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I mean, he seems perfectly, you know, he seems perfectly, perfectly likable. I hope he makes it. It's, you know, it seems like Asha, like, I feel like if you're going to go to, like, the Bachelorette scenario and think about, like, you know, the various women in A Song of Ice and Fire and who they might have as potential love interests, you know, Asha's, like, not doing bad. Like, you know, she's got Carl, who we all love, Tris Botley, who, you know, is war- I'm warming up to him, and Justin Massey seems like a solid dude. Like, she's actually got some decent options, you know, compared to, like, you know, yeah. Sansa. Or- yeah. <laughs> Poor Santa. Or, you know, oh, I mean, you know, Danny actually has some pretty terrible options as well. Yeah, and, she know, does. Asha seems to be doing pretty well, I feel like. Maybe Ariane has got some decent, you know, some decent mm-hmm. guys around her, but they're all kind of scuzzbags. Whereas I feel like Asha's guys are not super scuzzbags. They're just, you know, maybe you know, a little... Kind of dim. Yeah, a little dim, but I think, you know... She might like him, Dim. Although I don't think Justin Massey is dumb. I think he's just in a... I think he's dumb at being a gold digger. Yeah, that's, but that's exactly fine. it. He's dumb at being a gold digger. That's just fine. That is that is a good way to gold dig. It's nice and transparent, you know? I'm this into it. true. No, they, they probably need they probably need more like lessons on that in knight training, you know, because you yeah. become a knight to transcend your class, basically, or, you know. So you're gonna you're, you're gonna try to marry off to somebody, you know. Well, right. I mean, like obviously, Hyle hunts the gold standard. Yeah. 
like a little transparent, but for the most part, like pretty damn slick. Like you gotta, you know, Heil Hunt does a good. Speaking I mean, of how, which, wait, how know? slick is that guy? Because he was literally like when they're about to die, like, hey, you could have married me. Now you're here. Think about that shit. You know, like I mean, is that slick? <laughs> he's awesome. Yeah, tunnel vision. <laughs> it was a little tunnel visiony. I think he's just, you know. He's trying to lighten the moment because he, you know, what else do you freaking say when you're gonna get hung? Like, yeah, you know? he's also hey, like, I'll go kill Jamie. <laughs> yeah, that was legit funny. That was funny. We actually, oddly enough, we actually have a Heil Hunt special episode coming up in, I believe, three, maybe three weeks. We'll have our um, an entire episode dedicated to Heil Hunt. So. Um, Mark your calendars. I could probably look, but I don't really want to at the moment. Um, how about that for good podcasting, yeah. people? <laughs> Sorry about that. Hey, Eon, do we have any mail today? We actually do. We have a um, iTunes review. Sweet. Yes. Um I'm sorry, it actually came in on May 31st, so I'm sorry we didn't find it until today. But I'm going to read it right now. It's from um, Miss McSorty, and she gave us five stars. Yay! Yay! <laughs> um, it's the, the Song of Ice and Fire got friends I wish I had. I've been listening to this wonderful podcast for a full for a few years now, sorry if it took me so long to write a review. I'm a lazy listener, and I still look forward to every single episode. The majority female cast, variety variety in topics and special episodes such as the occasional hilarious drunk cast, really set this podcast apart amongst the many in the fandom. It's been said before, but I have to reiterate that the easy banter and fun antidotes of the cast make it feel like you are hanging out with your friends, sharing a bottle of wine or seven, <laughs> all the while breaking down the minute of your favorite fantasy series in the most absurd and irreverent way possible. Close the door spoils everything, is rarely safe for work, and always open for your weirdest, most shameful ships and theories. Please never stop. Love you guys. Oh, thank you. And thank you yeah. to whoever was um, closing their door. <laughs> just, just not, that was not an intentional sound effect, but it worked really well. <laughs> that was perfect. So um, I did want to point out, we do, our special Heil Hunt episode is going to be, um, you'll find it on J- July 3rd, but on July 2nd for our Patreons. And what's a Patreon, you say? Well, a Patreon are our most special, wonderful people that um, sponsor us on Patreon, and they receive special benefits like receiving all of our episodes a day early. So I would encourage um, those of you who want to support us, um, we use your Patreon support for things like our hosting fees and uh, golden microphones and headsets for all of us. Um, <laughs> and, you know, cutting-edge sound effects, but but mostly hosting fees. So um, <laughs> consider supporting us on Patreon. And you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, and all of those places like that. If you want to interact with us, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at closethedoorand at gmail.com. You can find us on Tumblr at Close the Door and Come Here. You can find us on Twitter at Door Podcast. And you can actually find us on Facebook at Close the Door and Come Here. I will um, amend that to say we're not super active on Facebook, but um, you know definitely... Inner, you know, we're definitely around on Tumblr and um, Twitter quite a bit, so we'd love to love to hear from you all. 
Anything else anyone has on this chapter? I'm really enjoying the Asha chapters. I don't know about anyone else, but um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm digging them. No, I like them. Asha's really great. This felt a little more like a camera chapter than previous. Yeah, like a camera on Stannis, which maybe, you know, is kind of why we like it. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, I'm fine with it. Yeah, I know. It's like, oh, I can't help it. I, I do like the guy. Um, anyway, I am closing the door. Get out.